Good morning again. Those of you that may be joining us online, we're happy to have you with us on our Joy Advent Sunday, continuing our Christmas playlist and talking about birth announcements. Birth announcements are a big deal. Parents and grandparents and even aunts and uncles are super excited to share the big news with just about everybody. And today with social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all of those things, you have to make sure that you haven't preempted the parents and you haven't shared it, pre-shared it before they had a chance to. So there's some etiquette in there that we have to learn in this new world of very quick announcements. Some people still print actual photos, shutterfly and tiny prints, and even you can't go to a photo mart anymore, but you can have invitations or announcements printed up and shared with your loved ones to share the good news. Just so you know how old I am, in my baby book, there's a telegram saying, congratulations, Joe and Betty, on your new son. So I've spanned from the telegram era all the way up till uh, the web era where we can just share things immediately. So I've never seen a telegram other than that one in my baby book. I never had a guy ride up in a scooter like in Bugs Bunny cartoons and here's your telegram. Never saw that happen. Anybody receive a telegram in their lives? Okay, we'll talk about that later. But, so no one's received one, but I have one in my book, which is just fun. If you really want to outdo everybody else, you could hire a choir, the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, to announce the birth of your baby. That would be pretty spectacular. Or better yet, hire a choir of angels to sing. And that's been done, but it's only been done once, and that was a very special one-time announcement, a very special baby. But with all of those angels singing in a choir, it was a very limited audience. A small group of people heard that announcement. We're halfway through our Christmas playlist already. We've lit three of our candles. We have one more week to go. And we're exploring songs from the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. And while we may not sing these songs, they are praises to God from people who experienced some part of that first nativity. And they asked questions. Why is this happening to me? How is this going to occur? How will we know? And the questions that we asked last Sunday in Zechariah's song... Why do we need God? Why did he even need to come? And we found out that it's because of our sin. There's nothing we can do about it. We need a Savior. And today in our third song, the angel's song, we're going to answer the question, how did God come? Throughout all of history, throughout the prehistory, the creation of the world and the universe, God knew this moment was coming. He planned it. And so how would he come to earth. If you want to pull out the insert in your bulletin, there's a place where you can take notes. And if you're watching online with us, you can go to faithlife.com slash Dunkirk Baptist, and you'll find copies of the notes there too. So you can follow along as we go through and answer today's question, how did God come? I'm going to read probably the most familiar passage in Luke when it comes to the Christmas story. Luke 2, 8 to 14. And in the same region, 
there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. When the angels went away into, from them into heaven, the shepherds said, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. The angel of the Lord appeared to a group of shepherds at night to share the good news of the Messiah's birth. When you hear about a baby and you haven't gotten that official announcement, you want the deets, right? You want the details. You want to know what was the baby's size? How long was the labor? Is it a boy? Is it a girl? Do you have a name yet? And you want to find out all of these things to share in the joy with those new parents. But instead of those details, the angel tells the shepherds more important things. The baby's location, his future job, his purpose, his title, and his true identity. These are things that God said, make sure the world knows this and tell these shepherds they're going to be my spokesmen. They're going to be the heralds to share the good news. So first of all, the baby was born in Bethlehem. That's significant because it was the birthplace of King David. And David was promised long ago that on his throne, there would be a king who would last forever. And David even called that king, my Lord, recognizing that that was the Messiah. His purpose, his job, was to be the Savior, the Redeemer. His title, Christ, which means Messiah, the promised Messiah. And most importantly, his true identity, he is the Lord God himself. This baby is the Lord. At Thanksgiving and Christmas time, if you watch the news or you still read a newspaper, you might see some stories that are meant to warm your heart. It's about a rich CEO going down to a rough neighborhood and serving Thanksgiving dinner. Or maybe the professional athletes you see helping kids in their town or in their city, and they're doing things at Christmas time, they're doing things at Thanksgiving, and it lets us see another side of this person. It lets us see that they have some compassion, they have some love and humility to go down and serve others in that way. But even better than that, the God who created the universe, who owns everything, who gave you life and sustains all life, that God stepped down into time. He's timeless, but he stepped into time and he made himself accessible. He made himself approachable to you and to me. God 
took on human flesh and became just like his people so that we could know him, so that we could experience him, we could understand his character and what he's like. And we'd have a model to say this is what the best way to live our lives would look like. Back when I was younger, we wore bracelets that said WWJD. What would Jesus do in this moment? A reminder that we're supposed to model our lives after Jesus, the perfect man. And yet, he was still fully God. Have you had the awkward moment where your kids asked about being born? You have to listen closely because you don't want to go into the whole story at that moment. They might not be asking for all of those details, but they may ask something like, well, where was I before I was born? They're looking through the family album and they see their older siblings. They're not there. Where was I? Where was I when this was happening? And some people would say, well, you were a baby in heaven waiting to be born. And in cartoons, we see lines of babies, you know, getting wait, waiting for their moment to drop down into earth. That's just not true. It's a cute picture, but we don't exist before conception. That's when life begins. Jesus was different than that. In his physical form, he didn't exist, but as the Son of God, he always was. The Gospel of John begins with these words, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And that passage goes on to say, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, the Messiah, the word of God, God's spoken word, his lived out word, his communicated word to us came to earth. But he always existed for all of time. And that is mind boggling for us, isn't it? To think that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were just in perfect fellowship with each other until God said, I'm going to create a universe. Why? We don't, we don't get that, except to say that God is loving, he's creative, he wanted to display his glory, and so he had a way to do that. It's kind of like asking why an artist creates their art. Maybe you like woodworking, or you like calligraphy, or you like doing things with clay, and if somebody said, why do you do this? I like creating. I like to make something beautiful. I like to see joy on people's faces as I give it to them. Question for God, why would you create anything when you were totally sufficient in yourself? You had everything you needed, but God created, and he gave us a universe to display his glory, and we forget that. We make life about us, right? We send out telescopes further and further so that we can see the stretches of the universe and understand how that all relates to us. God laid all of that out with his voice just so that we could understand how vast, how powerful he is. God was born as a human that night. It was truly miraculous, but wait, there's more. There were three big surprises. First of all, God chose Mary, an unmarried virgin who had never been with a man, and he chose her to give birth to his son. Back earlier in Luke, in chapter 1, verses 34 and 35, Mary asked Gabriel the angel, 
how can I conceive? How can I bear a son when I'm still a virgin? And the angel explained that the Holy Spirit would come over her and the child would be born holy and sinless, the Son of God. If you believe in God, if you believe in an almighty creator, then you can believe he can do anything. A hundred years ago, people, even in church, started getting caught up at this moment or in this theological issue and said, a virgin birth is impossible. Science has come along so far. We understand how babies are made. We know that it takes a husband and a wife, a male and a female, and we understand the science of it. So this is obviously impossible. And churches across the world stopped believing in the virgin birth. They just said, oh, it just meant that she hadn't been married yet, and now she was married. But if you can believe in a God that could create everything with his voice, let there be light, and there was, let there be land, let there be trees, let there be animals that live and breathe and reproduce. If you can believe that, why can't you believe that God could create his son on earth in this miraculous way? It's all part of God's plan. So we can read that and we can understand that and say, yes, that was a miracle, but God does miracles. He does things that are supernatural. We understand the natural world, and some people say, I'm only going to believe things I can see, touch, feel, and understand. But people still struggle with how planes stay in the air, and yet they walk onto planes every day and fly all over the place. I don't understand that. I couldn't explain it clearly. I understand the little bit of it that I learned in high school science, but I don't touch and feel and see that reality, and yet I believe it. People take leaps of faith all the time, and yet when it comes to believing in the God who created all of this, a God who loves you, a God who is reaching out to you, people put up that wall and say, I can't explain it, I can't believe it. The next surprise is the place where Jesus was born. The angel told the shepherds, you'll find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Swaddling means wrapped tight. And I remember that first time with our son Joseph that the nurses showed me, the dad who's just standing around with really little to do except, can I get you something, honey? Here's how you wrap your baby, nice and tight. Wrap them like a burrito, right? Bring up the bottom, wrap the sides, get them all tight and snugly so that his arms and his legs are not flailing around. He's not going to scratch himself, and he's going to feel loved as he's swaddled. There's nothing unusual about that. 2,000 years ago, people were swaddling their babies. They were wrapping them up tight so that they would be warm and comfortable. You're going to find the baby swaddled in cloths. Great. Lying in a manger. We've got some farmers here. A manger is a food trough. Why would you put a baby in a food trough? Trough. I always struggle with that word because it doesn't spell like it sounds at all. Trough. It's got old food in it. It had been eaten out of by cows and sheep and donkeys and who knows what else. Why would you put your baby in a trough? Mary didn't have her baby in a palace. 
Mary didn't have her baby in her warm, comfortable home or the home of a loved one with other sisters and aunts and mothers around to help her. Mary gave birth to her firstborn son in a stable. And sometimes we call the whole thing the manger, but it's really just where you put the food. They were in a stable of some sort, and this is the story we learn as kids. Mary and Joseph had traveled to Jerusalem. It was 70 miles from Nazareth down to Jerusalem through rough mountains. And we always picture Mary riding on a donkey and Joseph leading her along, but you can search your Bible and it never says that. That would have been really nice if... Joseph could have afforded the donkey to give her a ride, but it doesn't say that. That's just what we picture happening. They had a long 70-mile journey on foot to get to Bethlehem, the place that Micah, the prophet, said, this is where the Messiah is going to be born, this little town of Bethlehem. And so God orchestrated all of these things. And what did it take to get Mary and Joseph 70 miles to Bethlehem? It took a pagan ruler, Caesar, Augustus, all the way over in Rome to say, I want to know how many people are in Israel. They're my subjects now, and I want every one of them to go back to their tribal birthplace, and I want them to sign their name on a dotted line, and they're going to probably pay some kind of a tax. Why not get money from them while they're there? Does it sound like a politician? God orchestrated that just so that Mary and Joseph would leave the comfort of their hometown, go to Bethlehem. And when they got there, there are people from all over Israel going back to Bethlehem. Anybody in David's line would be in there, the tribe of Judah. Mary and Joseph were both from that tribe. And they show up, and of course, there is no room for them at the inn, right? We know that story. So the innkeeper says, well, there is a stable out back where we keep the animals, and over Time, people have said it could have just been a little cave or an alcove. It might not have been a nice wooden structure like we put in our homes, but it was a place for the animals to be kept. And because there was no crib, she laid the baby Jesus in that food trough, in that manger. And the shepherds came and they found him exactly as the angel had said. Here's the final surprise. Who's the audience? Why wouldn't God tell Caesar or maybe King Herod? Why wouldn't he tell the rulers of these nations, hey, the Savior is here. Tell everybody, share the good news. Let everybody come worship him. Or even the high priests in Jerusalem. The Savior, the Messiah is finally here. God chooses to announce this historic event to a group of shepherds. And you may have heard this before, but the shepherds were, I'm not going to put down any current day job, but they were the lowest job you could think of. So when we watch cartoons and we see the guy sweeping horse stuff out of the street, you know, in the old days when they didn't have cars, that's probably close to where you would think of the shepherd's job. Nobody wanted them around. They were usually the younger sons who had no future. They weren't going to inherit anything. They didn't have a good livelihood, and they said, you know what? You could probably watch sheep. Could you handle that? Can you just watch the sheep just sit there and try to stay awake? Okay, we'll let you do that. Send them outside. They lived pretty much outside. 
They had a cloak around them. They wrapped themselves up at night. They were smelly. They were dirty. They probably sat around the campfire telling stupid stories and jokes to make each other laugh and stay awake. And that's the group of people that God chose. I'm going to tell them. They didn't get to go to fancy parties. They didn't get to be with respectable people. In fact, if there was a legal dispute and a shepherd had witnessed the event, they wouldn't even listen to his story. They didn't think that a shepherd could tell the truth and not be biased. So a shepherd's testimony was not even acceptable in a court of law. God chose the people that were least cared about to share his love for the world, to share the good news of redemption, to share the good news that the Savior was born, and to make them his spokespeople. Even though people wouldn't listen to him in a court of law, they were going to be so filled with joy that people couldn't help but listen to them. And you know what I love about our God? He continues to choose the least expected people, the lowest, and the people who are most humble. They're the ones who are looking for God, who are saying, I need a savior. I need someone else. And God reveals himself, and they're the people he draws to him for his epic redemption plan. I hate to ruin your picture of Christmas, but the wise men were probably not there on that hillside. The Bible says that three kings from the east, it actually doesn't even say three kings. It just says they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So we automatically said, well, if there were three gifts, there must have been three guys. We don't know that. Those are just things that we filled in over the years. They saw a star in the sky that was revealing something supernatural was happening, and they followed this star and the Bible tells us that they came to King Herod and said, we've come to worship the king who's been born. And Herod said, when you find him, let me know. God knew Herod's heart. He knew he wanted to wipe out any competition. And God revealed to those wise men, don't go back to Herod. You're going to find the baby. But in Matthew chapter 2, it says, they came and they found Mary and Joseph in a house. They found him in a house. So this could have been anywhere from a year to two years later that he was in Bethlehem already living in a, a warm house in a place of a little bit more comfort, and they brought gifts, gifts fit for a king, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The shepherds, when they heard the news, when they saw Jesus, they responded with great joy. After seeing him and everything that the angel said was exactly true, they couldn't help but share the good news. It says, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the, shepherd, what the shepherds told them. You can just picture them knocking on doors in the middle of the night, guess what? The Messiah was born. And some people are saying, who's that? A shepherd? Forget it. But they couldn't hold their joy inside. They went running and shouting from the hilltops, go tell it, even on a mountain. God doesn't fit 
into our definitions of who or what we want him to be. And people through the years have continued to try to cast God into their own image. This is what my God would be like. My God wouldn't do that. My God wouldn't be so harsh and just. My God would only be loving. And he would just smile at everybody and he would let everything go. That's not a good God. That's not a just God. This God who is real has revealed himself not only through his creation, but through his word. And there's still so much more that we don't know about him. He is truly indescribable. Are you willing for God to surprise you? He works in ways that we can't see, that we can't comprehend, but he's looking for humble hearts. And he can do amazing things in your life. When you've recognized your need for a Savior, you need to be forgiven of your sins. You can't do it for yourself, but Jesus came to save the world. <clears throat> he brought great joy and peace on earth. As the angel choir showed up in that hillside, they sang glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Notice it's not just peace for everybody, it's peace to those who would come to him. You will find peace when you find God. Jesus, as we said last week, didn't come to end all wars and all conflict. He brought peace between people and God. He brought redemption and forgiveness of our sins. A first century philosopher named Epictetus, who wasn't necessarily a believer, said this, while the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart, for which man yearns for more than even outward peace. Epictetus was a philosopher, and he was looking for truth, and he recognized this truth. We can't find peace from politicians, from governments. We can't find peace from scientists who can hopefully, or they think, explain everything, we're not going to find peace in those places. We can only find peace from God himself. Our doctors can't promise perfect peace. When you face health problems, they can't promise you everything's going to be okay. Our banks, our investment Brokers or our managers of our finances can't promise peace. They can promise that the market's going to go up and down and up and down and up and down, and you just hope it's at the right place at the right time for you. Only the supernatural in intervention of God Almighty, God Himself, could bring peace to the world He created. And for us personally, only by accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior can we have peace with God. So our question today was, how did God come? Even though the coming of the Messiah, the Redeemer, had been prophesied by many people over thousands of years, he came to earth in a very unexpected way. He came to earth and revealed himself, God, in human flesh, as a baby. Jesus could have appeared as a fully grown man, able to protect himself, already aware of everything, but he chose 
to grow up like we do, to learn to love his family, to learn to care about other people. He was born of Mary, who was a seemingly unimportant young girl, supernaturally still a virgin after giving birth. He came to a small town, Bethlehem. He didn't come to Jerusalem where the temple was. Wouldn't that be spectacular? The glow in the temple, letting everybody know God has appeared like the Shekinah glory in the Old Testament. That would have been spectacular, but God said, no, I'm going to come and be born in a stable. I'm going to let my son be laid in a manger in the most humble of places. And I'm going to let the most humble people announce my arrival, the shepherds. Just like there was no room in the inn for Mary and Joseph, there was no room for baby Jesus to have a warm, dry place to be born, many people don't make room in their hearts for God. We come up with all kinds of excuses. I can't understand that. How could God be like this? Why is that happening? There's just no room to accept the gift. There's no room to say, I need a Savior. I can't do this myself. I want Him to be authority in my heart. And then, and only then can you be saved. Then and only then can your life be transformed. And then and only then can you have real peace and everlasting joy. You can look at life's struggles as we saw in the video. Look at all the past things and the pain and you can say, I have joy because I know my Savior lives. I know that He has me in His hand and He's going to preserve my soul for all of eternity, no matter what happens to me here on earth. And it's hard. Jesus lived through all of that. He knows our struggles. But He says, I will save you to the very end. Will you accept God's gift today? That's the most important part of Advent. As we think about the coming of the baby and we think about all those beautiful moments, not just knowing it, not just singing about it, not just hearing about it, but accepting it. I choose Jesus as my Savior. I need to be forgiven of my sins. I need to confess them and say, God, will you come rule in my heart? Believers, if you've done this already, is there room in your life for Jesus in the busyness, especially in this season, or does he just get the leftovers, like the basement couch where you send your kids when the holiday guests arise? We're just going to find this little place, and we're going to put you down there for the week. You can come back later when everybody's left. Sometimes we do that with Jesus in our life. I'm going to give you this little bit of time on Sunday morning. I'm glad you're here. This is the best place to be on Sunday morning. But sometimes that's all we think about him is just for this short time once a week. And God says, I want to be part of your life. I want you to go through every day and every moment recognizing that I am with you. I'm not leaving you alone for any of it. So why would you leave me out of your life? Make room in your life for the Savior. Give him the first fruits, the best of your time, the best of your money, your finances, the best of your strength and energy. Are you well rested on Sunday morning or did you stay up late or you went out late partying and you're just like, yeah, I can drag myself into church 
be here ready to worship with a good night's sleep and figure a time to spend with God when you're awake instead of saying, oh, I'll, I'll do my prayers and my devotion. I'll read the Bible before I go to sleep. And within seconds, you're nodding off because there's nothing left. God calls us to give us the best, for us to give him the best of our lives. Things that we think are the most important, even the holidays. I have to get all the wrapping done. I have to get the gifts just right. I have to get the meal just perfect. And Jesus gets our leftovers. As we face a new year, this is a perfect time to be thinking about that. We make resolutions and we say, I want to do this this year. It's a perfect time to say, let's turn over a new leaf as we turn over the calendar. I want to give God more of my life and give him all of it to give him full authority over every aspect of my life, to give glory to God in the highest as I go to work, as I spend time at home, as I'm out with my friends, as I'm here in church, every part of your life should be glorifying Jesus. Why? Because he brought you peace with God and the joy that he brings is so much greater than anything we can find in life. May you go with that joy today. Mark's going to come. We're going to sing a final joyous Christmas carol. And then I hope you'll join us downstairs for coffees and some more Christmas cookies and Sunday school classes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you that we could light the candle of joy, that we could celebrate the good news as the angels came and sang glory to God in the highest and on earth peace with those whom your favor rests. Lord, help us to make room in our hearts for your Son, Jesus Christ, to not only be our Savior, but to be Lord of our lives, to be the authority, the one in control, the one that we consult for every decision that everything we do and say would bring honor and glory to him and to him alone. Now may God, the Father of hope, fill you with all peace and joy in believing in his Son, Jesus Christ, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may overflow with his great love. I pray this in the name of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Amen.